The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. This hour of the Costa Report is brought to you by Dole Food Company, the world's leading producer and distributor of fresh fruits and vegetables. Welcome to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and thank you for joining me for another two hours of Straight Talk Radio. I want to take a moment to welcome veterans and active members of our armed forces who are joining us from remote locations over the Internet today. And I also want to welcome new listeners on new affiliates in California, Texas, Ohio, Florida, and from coast to coast in all 50 states. Thank you for making us part of your Newsweek. During the next hour, we're going to tackle a subject you can expect to hear a lot more about from the presidential candidates, and that is the topic of cyber warfare. Today, we're fortunate to have with us Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist and author Fred Kaplan, whose latest book, titled Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War, presents an eye-opening account of cyber attacks on the U.S. and reveals how vulnerable governments and businesses really are. But before Mr. Kaplan joins us, as is my custom each week, let me tell you a little about his background. Fred M. Kaplan was born in Hutchinson, Kansas. He received his undergraduate and master's degrees from Oberlin College and his Ph.D. from MIT. Though he fully intended on studying literature in college, he found himself fascinated by the live televised Watergate hearings, which he was glued to every day, which caused Kaplan to switch his major to political science and later international relations. I want to mention that while at MIT, Kaplan focused on nuclear strategy, arms control, and military force planning, studies which prepared him for the kind of books he would write much later in his career. Between 1978 and 80, Kaplan became a policy advisor to U.S. Representative Les Alpin in Washington, D.C., and shortly after leaving that post, Kaplan wrote the best-selling book, The Wizards of Armageddon, where his love of literature and interest in military strategy came together. He was soon offered a position with the Boston Globe, where Kaplan wrote for 20 years. Following the Globe, Kaplan joined Slate as their War Stories columnist. Kaplan is one of the nation's most respected authors when it comes to connecting military and political dots in a way that makes for compelling and often disturbing narrative. His latest book on cyber war follows in that tradition. So hang on to your hats, folks, because we're in for a bumpy ride ahead. It's my pleasure to welcome to the Costa Report, Pulitzer Prize winning journalist, Mr. Fred Kaplan. Thank you for joining us today, Mr. Kaplan. Uh, thank you. <clears throat> to ward off charges of fraud, I, I would just uh, correct one small thing in, in your otherwise very nice summation of my career. I, it, the bachelor's was from Oberlin, both the master's and PhD from MIT. Oberlin doesn't offer master's degrees. So other than that, <clears throat> all, all well, let, let's, let's go. Well, thank you for that correction. <laughs> I, I'm glad that you made that point. I, I really uh, have had a long, outstanding relationship with the staff at MIT, and they'll be happy that we got that right. Now, okay. before we get to your book, there is a, a story currently breaking about a Romanian hacker who was extradited to the U.S. who claims to have hacked Mrs. Clinton's home server more than mm -hmm. once using simple online toolkits. And I wanted to give you an opportunity to comment on that breaking story. Yeah, I, I saw that. You know, it's nothing new. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. It's, it's already been reported that, um, that the Russian government hacked into uh, Secretary Clinton's private email. Now, it's also been reported that they didn't get anything out of it. They attempted to 
do what, what are called fishing expeditions. I mean, you probably get these all the time. I certainly do where, you know, there's an email and it, it invites you to click on something that looks a little bit alluring, at which point you will download malware that will mess your system up. Uh, there were, she, here's what is known. Her email did receive some of these phishing uh, expeditions and uh, they were, the, they, they traced the logs to Russian sites, but she did not click on any of them. So I, I've seen these reports as well, and they, they've been played up as something huge, but it's, it's, it's nothing at all new. It's, you know, it, it, was, it was widely assumed and, and even reported that, that hackers had tried to get into their system, whether anything was terribly important in there, much less whether anybody got into them uh, is something that hasn't been proved at all. Well, the latest report is that he claims he got, first got into Sidney Blumenthal's AOL account, and from there he had a roadmap that got him into Clinton's server. Well, I mean, this is how it, it is an interesting thing. This is how you get into systems. Often, if you want to get into somebody's email, and by the way, that, that could just as easily have been her, her State Department email as well, uh, you hack into the email of somebody who communicates with that person or with that organization. Uh, I will say this. Um, I mean, I know Sidney Blumenthal. He doesn't have an AOL account, or he used to, but he has a Gmail account now, so I don't even know how accurate these reports are. Okay, so we don't really know if this fellow uh, was able to get into Clinton's email account or not, but we can assume that if it, if not him, we can assume others yeah, were able to access the account. I would say this, you know, um, <clears throat> my story, it goes all the way back to the very beginning of the Internet. Uh, it was <clears throat> the precursor of the Internet called the ARPANET. This was in 1967. And uh, the, the idea behind it was, was very good. I mean, you know, it would give scientists, especially in the defense community, ways that they could communicate with one another and exchange data. They wouldn't have to have separate consoles for each university that they were communicating with. <clears throat> but there was a computer scientist named Willis Ware. He was uh, the, the director of the computer science department at the RAND Corporation. He, he'd worked with John von Neumann on the very first electronic computers in the United States. He was on the scientific advisory board of the National Security Agency. <clears throat> and he wrote a paper. It was secret at the time, but it's been declassified since. It's a fascinating document where he warns. He says, you know, the, the problem with putting information on a network where it can be accessed online from remote, unsecured locations is that you're creating inherent vulnerabilities. You're not going to be able to keep secrets anymore. And when I was doing the research for this book, I asked the, the guy who was running the ARPANET program at the time if he'd read Willis Ware's paper. And he said, yeah, yeah, I knew Willis. And I said, well, what'd you think? And he goes, well, I took it to my team. And they read it and they said, oh, don't saddle us with a security requirement. Look how hard it was just to do what we've done. It's like telling the Wright brothers that their first plane has to carry 20 passengers 50 miles. Let's just do this one step at a time. And besides, it'll take decades for the Russians to do anything like this. And well, <clears throat> it did take decades. It took two and a half or three decades, by which time... Whole systems and networks have grown up with no provision for security, whatever. So I see this as, as sort of the, uh, the the bitten apple in the digital garden of Eden. It was there from the very beginning. And, and years later, Willis Ware would tell people, he would say, you know, here's the thing. <clears throat> the only computer that's completely secure is a computer that no one can use. So vulnerability is, is yes. an inherent part of the system. And, and you know, the, 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 the dangerous thing is that, all that so much in our lives is hooked up to these computer networks. And not just our computers and our banking systems and our dams and electrical grids and waterworks. And now even with the Internet of Things, things in our house and our cars. And it is all imminently hackable. 
Yes, well, it's certainly not the distributed system that we think of. At some point, it's all connected to the Internet. So once you get control of the Internet, you control all of it. That's right. I mean, there are encrypted things, and those are harder to get into. What I tell people is that, look, I mean, what you're worried about is, uh, you know, somebody breaking into your banking account or to get your Netflix password or something. Mr. Kaplan, I'm sorry, we have to go to a hard break, but we'll come back in just a moment. We can finish that thought. You're listening to the Costa Report. Imagine hearing the words, your child has cancer. The emotional impact is staggering. They tell you that treatment may last for years and you travel the long road between hospital and home. Your financial worries multiply and you want to stay strong for everyone, especially your child. But nobody understands. Your friends and family don't get it. Where do you turn? For the last 18 years, Jacob's Heart has provided essential support to families enduring the unimaginable. We have been there from the time of diagnosis all the way through the course of treatment, regardless of the outcome. With no government funding and no reimbursement for services, Jacob's Heart relies 100% on support from our community to make miracles happen for families. Please support Jacob's Heart by going to our website, jacobsheart.org, or call us at 831-724-9100. Make a difference in the life of a child. Thank you. Caraccioli Cellars recently celebrated the fifth anniversary of their tasting room. This is what Enophiles had to say. Anna Russell, I love Caraccioli wine because I love the San Lucia Highlands and I think this is a particularly great representation of what SLH can do that's different um, using the most common grapes, Pinot and, and Chardonnay and making something really beautiful and different in the area. I love the wine so I always come back to almost every one of their events. My name is Jenny Franklin. I like it because it's very flavorful. It just is a good Pinot. It goes down without touching any sides. It's very good. Full of lace. I really like the Brut Rosé. I like the older varietals too. I think it's just the way they manufacture it, the way that it, uh, they produce it is old world style and I enjoy that. Visit the Caraccioli Tasting Room on Dolores Street in Carmel by the Sea. Or find us online at caracciolicellars.com or reach us by phone at 831-622-7722. Spring is in the air, and that means it's time for... What? Allergies? Easter bunnies? No, Charlie. It's time for electrical safety. Of course. Hello, Charlie Friedman here with Chris Jensen from JM Electric. Spring is the season for safety. That's right, Charlie. Every year, thousands are injured or killed by electricity around the home. But thankfully, we now have incredible technologies today, like arc fault circuit interrupters and tamper-resistant receptacles that can protect you from those electrical fires and shocks. JM Electric is happy to help folks out with a free home assessment to see if any of these devices or our current safe testing services are a good fit for their home. Don't get a free tap dancing lesson from your electrical circuitry. Give my friends at JM Electric a call. They'll come to your home, have an expert look at your electrical systems, and tell you what can be done to make you your home safe, just like they did for my home, and their visit won't cost you a dime. Give JM Electric a call at 422-7819 or visit jmelectric.com or on Facebook and tell them Charlie sent you. So you finally decided to start taking a vitamin supplement. Those chewables and tablets are fine if you don't mind paying for something that is only absorbed about 4 to 6%. However, a liquid supplement can have a 90% absorption rate if you choose the right one. Longevity offers a wide variety of liquid supplements with a 90% absorption rate or more. Beyond Tangy Tangerine may be the best one ever invented. It starts as a liquid that is freeze-dried like those instant coffees into a crystal. Then all you have to do is add a couple of scoops to water. No refrigeration, no fuss, no mess. Not only do you get a complete multiple vitamin, Beyond Tangy Tangerine also has minerals and it tastes fantastic. You'll want to drink it all day long. So the next time you reach for a vitamin supplement, reach for Beyond Tangy Tangerine from Longevity. For more information or to order, call Andy or Phyllis Anderson at 888-245-0300. Welcome 
Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today is Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist Fred Kaplan, who has a new book out titled Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War. And I'm sorry we had to go to hard break there, but I wanted to give you a chance to finish your thoughts there. Well, just the main point is, if, if you know, if, if you're just an ordinary person, uh, <clears throat> there are things you can do to protect your computer. Uh, but if you have something that somebody really wants, and uh, especially if that person is really good or is has the resources of a nation state, uh, there's really very little you can do about it. That's that's the main point. Now, I after reading your book, I felt it was very difficult to do justice to the amount of research you put into this book. And so I thought maybe a good place to start would be to ask you to explain what we mean when we say cyber war in particular, why we refer to it as a war. Right. Well, it, it concerns um, the ability of a nation state or some faction aspiring to be a nation state to attack the computer networks of, of an opponent or an enemy. And, and as we were talking, the computer networks are now governing everything. The military, uh, the command control networks of a, of a government, government resources, critical infrastructure that can be uh, threatened or destroyed as leverage in the pursuit of, of a war. And, and as I say, this has been, it has been known that this is possible for more than 50 years. And as I document in the book, it's, it's things that, that everybody's been doing to everybody else or that some countries have been doing to other countries for at least the last 30 years. And, and you know, one point that I make that, that needs to be emphasized is that um, it's not just other countries doing it to us. We've been doing this to other countries for, for a very long time. Now, there are still people who do not believe that these cyber attacks are funded and orchestrated by the governments of China, North Korea, Russia, and others. So I thought maybe you could walk us through the attack on Sony by the North Koreans and exactly how the U.S. government knew without any doubt that this came from a team called Dark Soul in Korea. Right. Well, yeah, you're right. With with the Korean attack, especially uh, on Sony, a lot of people at the beginning said, including some rather renowned computer uh, experts said, I don't think this was North Korea. This looks more like an inside job. But I found out <clears throat> the way that we knew that this was North Korea. And I, I was struck even at the time that the FBI came out and said very with, with very high confidence that this was an attack from North Korea. And they usually don't talk like that, is that we have been hacking so deeply into North Korea's computer network we don't monitor it in real time, so it's not like anybody saw this attack on Sony going on when it was going on. But the NSA could go back into the files, and they could watch on their monitors what the North Korean hackers were seeing on their monitors when they were doing the attack. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's like you know, catching them. It's like having a you know a, a, a camera in a bank where you can see. The, uh, the the people robbing the bank very clearly, and you can tell who they are. So in that case in particular, the, there's no doubt whatsoever. Right. It was like rewinding video. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly mm-hmm. what it was. Mm-hmm. Now, there have been other cyber attacks on retailers, defense contractors, mm-hmm. utility companies, and so on. But in the eyes of the Obama administration, the attack on Sony... Uh, because of their comedy called The Interview, which mocked the North Korean leadership, was an attack on free speech. So in this particular case, the U.S. government felt that a proportional response was necessary. Uh, Tell us about that response. Well, it's very interesting. I mean, uh, there had been lots of hacks before, of you know, banks, defense establishments, defense industries. This was the one, because it does touch on our values, free speech and so forth, that he felt it necessary to say um, that, yeah, we are going to respond, we are going to retaliate. Now, by coincidence, about a week later, North Korea's Internet was unplugged for like 10 hours. And the North Koreans assumed that that was Obama's retaliation. I've been told that it absolutely was not. This was done by some, probably some group like Anonymous. It was a different hacking group entirely. 
the retaliation that Obama did was a stiffening of our sanctions against North Korea. But think about it. Let's say that this was done against a somewhat more resilient uh, power that had much better cyber capabilities. And uh, something like that happened. They thought that we had turned off their Internet in retaliation to some attack that they didn't consider a, a terribly serious attack. Well, they might respond to our shutting down their Internet by shutting down something of ours, and then we could be escalating into a, a real war. It, it, fortunately, even if, North, even if it had been the case that we'd shut down North Korea's Internet, there really isn't a whole lot that North Korea could do about it. Um, but uh, another country, Russia, China, Syria, Iraq, uh, you know, the, the, the title of my book, Dark Territory, it comes from uh, something that Secretary of Defense Robert Gates told his associates after getting briefed every day by the hundreds of hacks that were attempted. Um, he said, you know, we're, we're wandering in dark territory here. There are no rules of the road. There are no rules of the game. There's no hotline to call. There's no Geneva Convention. Uh, nobody quite knows what is considered an acceptable hack versus a truly dangerous attack. And then what happens if there's retaliation where we're, you know, we're, we're, we're driving blind on this. And it's something that, that's kind of appalling and, and that could be very dangerous if, uh, if, if something got out of hand in the very near future. It's interesting that our retaliation tends to be economic, not electronic. Uh, the the United States government clearly denied they had anything to do with the 10 hours of lost Internet of the country of North Korea. Um, but similarly, uh, when we discovered that the Chinese government was funding hacking into uh, U.S. businesses and the U.S. government, when Obama went over to China, um, he kind of issued a very mild and veiled threat. Uh, in your book, you mentioned that he said, well, you know, we would hate for our trade to be interrupted by these uh, cyber threats. And that was sort of a face-saving way in which the Chinese could say, oh, you're on to us and, you know, we'll, we'll, we should back down since we don't want to have an economic consequence. Right. Well, you know, the, the other thing is, is it's all a little awkward because, and, and there were people in the Defense Department who were a little disturbed when President Obama started making a public uh, objection to Chinese hacking. And that is that, you know, we've been hacking into them for quite a long time, too. Now, we don't do the same kind of hacking. We don't hack into, you know, we don't steal Chinese trade secrets because we don't need to. You know, we're mm -hmm. ahead of them in these things. They've stolen our trade secrets. We don't need their aircraft design. But, you know, we hack into their military networks. We hack into uh, their critical infrastructure, just like they hack into ours. And in fact, you know, when, when it was revealed that the Chinese had hacked into, you know, the millions of personnel records, federal yes. personnel records. Uh, well, maybe we can tell, talk about this one. When, when right. Well, we, we've got to take another scheduled break, up. but uh, we'll pick this up on the other side of the break. We'll return after these brief messages from today's sponsors. You're listening to the Costa Report. If you're wondering what to do with all that data you're creating, do I have an offer for you? Tableau is drag-and-drop software that people of any skill level can use to analyze and turn data into something actionable. That's right, I said actionable. And isn't that what all that data is for? With Tableau, you can connect to any data in virtually any format and visualize it on the fly. Databases, spreadsheets, even big data sources are instantly combined into usable charts, graphs, reports, and dashboards. People can analyze data and drag-and-drop at 10 times the speed of a traditional business intelligence system. But the most impressive thing about Tableau is that anyone can use it. And just to prove the point, you can get a free 14-day trial from Tableau just by mentioning you heard this ad. But do it now, because this offer won't last. For your free 14-day trial, visit Tableau at T-A-B-L-E-A-U dot com slash Costa. That's Tableau dot com slash Costa. Tableau Software. What's your data trying to tell you? 
Run, run, run as fast as you can from coastal Aptos through the redwoods up the mountain to the sky. Get up and run. 31st Annual Santa Cruz Lions Nicene Marks Marathon, Half Marathon, or 5K. Saturday, June 4th, Aptos Village Park. All proceeds from your run go to help the seeing-impaired see, the hearing-impaired hear, and the young grow into productive citizens. Register to run today at NicenMarksMarathon.com. That's NicenMarksMarathon.com. Run as fast as you can. Every day, millions of seniors struggle with cancer, arthritis, and other rare diseases. They rely on Medicare Part B for access to their doctor and life-saving medicines. Shockingly, the Obama administration has proposed a misguided experiment to Medicare, and it could be devastating. Government bureaucrats could manipulate your course of treatment. Access to new breakthrough treatments may be restricted. Local clinics could be forced to close, requiring some patients to travel significant distance and forcing others into hospitals for their care. Over 300 patient and provider groups have called on Congress to stop this experiment, and Congress needs to listen. Congresswoman Anna Eshoo has always protected California seniors. Call Congresswoman Eshoo at 202-225-8104 or go to StopCMSCuts.com. Urge her to stand up for California seniors and stop the Medicare Part B experiment. Paid for by the Community Oncology Alliance. Coast Paper and Supply has been family-owned and operated since 1948. They have a wide array of products available, including brand name and eco-friendly cleaning supplies, paper goods, and compostable plates, cups, and cutlery. Whether your needs are for business or home, Coast Paper and Supplies' friendly and reliable staff have what you're looking for. They even accommodate special orders. You can find them at 151 Josephine on River Street in Santa Cruz, Monday through Friday from 8 a.m. to 4.30, or call at 831-423-3350. Coast Paper and Supply is a proud member of Think Local First. As a newly minted citizen of the United States, Rosemary Chalmers is required to have a basic knowledge of baseball. Every day now, Rick and Thomas are giving me baseball information. Yeah, you know, what I like about what Thomas is doing, it's a very dynamic classroom setting for you. We're having definitions thrown at you from realities in the previous day's game. Yeah, that's and that's a good way to do it. So today you learned about uh, fielder's choice. Yes, and whether that's a run or not. Well, whether no, sorry, whether it's an out or not. Am I correct? Uh, yes. Well, you're warm. I don't know if you're getting I'm, hot or cold though. Oh, Rosie, it looks like you're cold. But keep up the good work. Seems your baseball knowledge is equal to my grasp of cricket. Keep up with Rosie's progress on Good Morning Monterey Bay, weekdays 6 to 9 a.m. on KSCO. Welcome back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and if you're just joining us, my guest today is Fred Kaplan, who, and we're uh, talking about his riveting new book titled Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War. Now, did you want to continue your thoughts? I, I hate that we have these hard breaks. I'm so sorry, but okay. we've got to take them. I, I and should anticipate. I should anticipate. <laughs> no, but when, when the news came out about the, the Chinese hacking of the millions of, of records of federal employees and uh, uh, General Clapper, the director of national intelligence, was asked about this at a congressional hearing. He was asked about this Chinese cyber attack and he said, well, I don't know if this is really an attack. It's more an act of espionage similar to the kinds of things that we do as well. Well, you've pointed out in your book that these acts of espionage go back to Roman and Egyptian empire times. You know, we've always been had eyes on the opposing team. Um, this is just a little bit different, though. Well, it's a lot different because, uh, you know, even, you know, back in mid-century or even uh, toward the end of the 20th century, the NSA would, would tap phones or intercept radio signals and that sort of thing. But what's happened now with, with the Internet and, and the, the, the pervasiveness of computer networks is that it's impossible just to tap one cell phone. You get into the whole network, you get into everybody's stuff. 
and and also all of our stuff is now vulnerable to to the same kinds of attacks when everything is is plugged into computer networks. You know, for example, the Stuxnet attack, the the joint U.S. Israeli operation, which uh, sabotaged centrifuges in Iranian nuclear uh, reactors or, or nuclear uh, in, uranium enrichment plants. What that was, it wasn't an attack on the centrifuges directly. It was an attack on the computer system that was controlling the speed at which the centrifuges were spinning. Yes. So, you know, you can do similar things with, you know, electrical power grids, with, with the flow of water in and out of dams. I mean, you know, take your pick. It's, it's all, we, we've sort of opened up the door on this one. But even our own personal computers, we learned from Edward Snowden that the NSA was using some pretty out-of-the-world technologies to collect data. And they had some funny names like Howler Monkey, Rage Master, mm-hmm. Loud Auto, Monkey Calendar. Can you tell us a little bit about those? Well, there, there's an outfit within the NSA called the Taylor access operations office. This is sort of the black bag job of the digital realm. Uh, You know, the CIA has divisions where if you want to go steal a document, these are the guys who go crack the safe. Well, the TAO are the people in the NSA. They're the elite hackers who who figure out how to, you know, you say, I want to get into Osama bin Laden's uh, email. They're the ones who figure out to do it. And they've devised technologies that can, for example, activate the microphone or the camera in a, in, a, in a laptop remotely without even turning on the light, showing you that the camera is on, uh, that can intercept signals off the screen, for example, in case the, uh, or even from radio signals, so that in case the computer isn't plugged into the Internet, you can still intercept the signals. It, there's really very little that they can't get to uh, if they want you. Now, I should say one thing just as a cautionary statement. It's not like they're doing this to you and me. One, one thing that I learned, and I was kind of surprised by this, is that the NSA is just chock full of lawyers. And there are laws about this thing, and they take their responsibilities seriously. There is very little sign of what you or I would consider, you know, call it kind of the traditional sort of political abuse of these kinds of powers. But the potential for this abuse is enormous. I mean, you know, I can just say, imagine if Richard Nixon and J. Edgar Hoover had had this technology available to them when they were in office. Uh, you, you can imagine. The, but this is why it's important for there to continue to be outside monitoring of what's going on in these places. Well, quite frankly, I've been working in Silicon Valley most of my life. Uh, Mm -hmm. John McAfee was a colleague of mine in the early 1980s when he was developing antiviral software. So I've been tracking uh, these kinds of hacking incidences um, for longer than I can remember. And I just have to say that when the whole metadata uh, information mm-hmm. came out from Edward Snowden. I, quite frankly, was relieved because it showed a certain amount of government restraint. Yes. And so I, I wasn't alarmed. I was relieved. <laughs> you yeah, know, because yeah. metadata is the least of my of our of an intrusion yeah. that you could you know that you can actually impose on citizens. And in fact, you know, the reform, the great reform that President Obama put, which was to take the metadata outside of the NSA and store it with the phone companies. And a lot of the Republicans said, oh, this will kill the NSA. This will destroy our intelligence capabilities. Actually, one thing I learned in doing research for the book is that this idea actually came from General Keith Alexander, who was the director of the NSA and the person who kind of promoted, he pushed for this metadata program because he realized, A, it's really not getting us much information. There are other things the NSA does that we're getting enormous information from about terrorism and many other things. The metadata, not so much. And as long as they still have the power to to uh, to, to get court orders, to get specific information, uh, you, you weren't going to lose that much time in doing so. So despite the reforms, or for all the reforms, the, the, the abilities... 
you know, for better or for worse, of what the NSA can do and has been doing have uh, have barely been touched at all. Yes, I, I agree. Um, now, I know we only have a few more minutes with you, so let me ask you about the administration's efforts to get companies like Microsoft, Apple, Facebook, and others to work with the government um, in what I, I can only call a modern-day version of becoming defense contractors. How's that working so far? Well, you know, this goes back a long time. I mean, back in the 1920s, a U.S. intelligence agency got Western Union to give them access to all telegraphs going in and out of the country. And, of course, in the 50s and 60s, the FBI and NSA were tapping, you know, ATT was cooperating in in letting them uh, wiretap telephones. So, actually, what's going on with this fight with Apple? What the FBI is trying to do is to maintain the arrangement that it's had with all of these telecom companies for decades in the face of much stronger encryption. And what, what the FBI, the whole FBI fight, I mean, the, what I've come up with is that there really wasn't anything in this guy's phone that they knew about anyway, but the FBI was looking for a new legal precedent which would allow them to maintain this relationship. And the, the law that they were invoking, one limit of the law from their point of view is that if somebody, if they could get some other way to break into this phone without getting Apple's permission, then they had to drop the lawsuit. And there was this private firm which came up with a way that they could do it without Apple's cooperation. So the FBI, it looked like a happy solution, but in fact, they were a little irritated that uh, that this guy came up with, a, with an answer because they thought they wanted to change the law through the courts. They thought that this was a very good case for doing so. And so now they're, they're looking for other cases. But the legal, the legality of this is very ambiguous. Every, there's, there's not much case law built on the First Amendment, Fifth Amendment, Fourth Amendment, privacy laws that don't predate the digital age. Now, I know that you've got a hard stop here, and uh, we hate to let you go because this, as I said, this is a subject I've been covering for the past 35 years. So it's been a pleasure to have you with us today. The next big cyber attack, uh, feel free to call me and we'll talk about it. I I have to tell you, this is one of the best researched and most factual books on cyber warfare that has ever been published, and I'm really going to encourage our listeners today to go out and get a copy of it. Thank you for being with us today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. We'll be right back after these short messages. You're listening to the Costa Report. Every day our world gets more complicated. Not only is new information coming at us faster than we can manage, new regulations, technology, and the effects of globalization have made it much more difficult to succeed. That's why I wrote The Watchman's Rattle, a book that, for the first time, explains how complexity makes it hard to separate facts from fiction and eventually causes us to make important decisions based on unproven beliefs. And not just us, our leaders also fall prey to this phenomena. But here's the good news. Once you know the symptoms to watch for, you can safeguard against them. So please, go to RebeccaCosta.com, that's RebeccaCosta.com, and order your copy of The Watchman's Rattle. It only takes a few minutes and the shipping is free. That's RebeccaCosta.com. Do it now, you'll be glad you did. Big data is being generated by everything around us all the time. Every digital process and social media exchange produce it. Systems, sensors and mobile devices transmit it. Big data is arriving from multiple sources with ever-increasing velocity, volume and variety. It's becoming the world's newest resource for competitive advantage, allowing decision-making to move from the elite few to the empowered many. The escalating demand for insights requires a fundamentally new approach to architecture, tools, and practices. To extract meaningful value from big data, you need optimal processing power, analytics capabilities, and skills. 
Find out how IBM Big Data and Analytics can transform your business. Visit www.ibm.com slash big data today. That's www.ibm.com slash big data. This is Sylvia Panetta inviting you to join us for the Leon Panetta 2016 Lecture Series. This year, we've been discussing an America in Renaissance or Decline, the challenges facing a new president. On May 9, Secretary Panetta will discuss gridlock, partisanship, and executive action with Mark Shields, Chris Matthews, Gloria Borger, and J.C. Watts. Can new leadership bring an end to Washington's partisan gridlock and dysfunction? Join us. Call 831-582-4200. Care from the Heart is a dedicated and professional home health care agency that's been serving families in the Tri-County Monterey Bay area for over 18 years. We help our clients and their families handle health challenges with determination, love, and humor. When you work with Care from the Heart, we provide assistance with the utmost respect. Your team will consist of nurses, case managers, and home care specialists who will listen and you will design a flexible program to fit your specific needs, either short-term or long-term. You might need help with medication, personal hygiene, meal preparation, transportation, companionship, household chores, or pet care. We can even help you with the dreaded insurance paperwork. If the time has come when you must step into the role of caregiver for a family member, naturally you'll have questions and concerns. Care from the Heart offers classes that provide specific information and skills you'll need to become the positive and supportive influence your family member deserves. And we protect against caregiver burnout by offering periodic respite care for you. Whatever your individual situation, now or in the future, help is available. For a complimentary consultation, call us at 831-476-8316. We can come to you or you are welcome to visit our office in Santa Cruz near Dominican Hospital. Our website is carefromtheheart.net. Back to the Costa Report. I'm Rebecca Costa, and my guest today was Fred Kaplan, who recently released the book Dark Territory, The Secret History of Cyber War. And uh, unfortunately, he had to leave early. Uh, But we book our guests, just so listeners know, we book our guests a full quarter in advance, three months in advance. And it was such a coincidence that news of a Romanian hacker that got access to Hillary Clinton's home server broke this week. The timing could not have been uh, better. And I have with us the host of the Charles Friedman Show, Charles Friedman. He's decided to come in a little bit early before our uh, weekly roundtable. Charles, what, what struck you about this Romanian hacker? Oh, the name, of course. I mean, here's a guy who calls himself Guccifer. Guccifer, now, like now, Lucifer. Yeah, well, this is, yeah, first of all, <laughs> we're all familiar with Lucifer, obviously. That's that's an old scratch. And uh, here we have Gucci. So here we have a, a very evil person who goes around dressed to the nines and, and carrying all these wonderful expensive accessories. Well, the fact is, is that he didn't, he wasn't a government-sponsored hacker. No, he was a, no. He was a, a, a lone attacker, and he simply used uh, tools that he was able to purchase off the Internet. And it's interesting that where he decided to go was he went to Sidney Blumenthal's email account, right. which basically gave him a roadmap to everyone who Sidney Blumenthal communicated with and And Sidney communicated to Hillary Clinton's home server that's what gave him access to the home server and from what uh Guccifer or Guccifer however we want to pronounce it from what he has said he said what I did here was uh not out of the out of the ordinary this was something that any reasonably versant person could have done and as I listened to Mr. Kaplan make his presentation, I was thinking to myself, he, he doesn't seem to be very excited about this. He isn't. He and said that it's assumed already that many people got into that home server. Well, now you a couple of weeks ago was that you had Mike Hayden on your program. Yep, and Remember he him? said the same thing. And he said he would be very shocked uh, uh, to learn that uh, various national uh, 
capitals were not versant with these emails. I am appalled by this. It, it points to this uh, utter lack of, of consideration or, or consciousness of security on the part of the Secretary of State of the United States at that time, a person who's now putting herself forward for the top office. Uh, if, if you or I had done this, we'd be wearing striped suits. Well, that is true, except for when you look at the overall picture of how far behind the federal government is in securing its data and communications. It was only last year, I believe, or maybe the year before, but I think it was last year that Congress approved monies to upgrade old computers that hackers could get into without even thinking about it. I mean, some of the the computing technology that the federal government is using is so antiquated, a five-year-old kid could break into them. Well, we understand that in many cases that's that's true, although the federal government does have the capacity when it is required to offer state-of-the-art security protections, facilities, etc. One would hope the Secretary of State, who was after all uh, supposed to do so under the rules of her own administration, would have availed herself of this. But getting back to, to your, your point there and Mr. Kaplan's point, uh, it's always a game of catch-up. You know, um, Krupp will first invent a great artillery shell that will pierce any armor. Then Krupp will invent armor that will stand up to that shell. So now we have computer uh, people who are doing the same thing. Here is a firewall no one can breach. And here is a way to breach that firewall. This goes on and on. Right, it's never ending. You have to upgrade constantly. I understand that. But nevertheless, um, we do owe it to... Our, ourselves and our national security do the best we can. I, I heard Mr. Kaplan kind of saying, well, you know, if, if somebody wants to hack a system, they're going to hack it. It's kind of like what sec- social, uh, Secret Service agents will say, well, if somebody really, really wants to assassinate the president, by God, uh, they're probably going to be able to get a shot off at the president. Uh, that's no reason not to do our damnedest to protect our president or to protect our, our secure systems. Well, that's true, and I don't think he's saying that we don't have to do everything we can, but he does make the point that once you make information accessible to more and more people, like Mm -hmm. cloud systems do, inherently, from a systemic standpoint, those systems become more vulnerable. That's true. Because once you get the key king, you know, the keys to the kingdom, Mm -hmm. you get it all. Well, that's certainly true, and there's there's always this balance. Uh, I was interested in hearing Mr. Kaplan point out the people who who were first developing uh, the internet say, "Look, don't don't harness us with all of this. Uh, We're we're trying to make something work here." And you know, the the IT people or the the people who really want to make the Internet work as best it can, security uh, systems just get in their way. Get rid of all of this. The problem is, and it's like, you know, the the fact that Pandora did open the box and that Eve did bite the apple, there are bad actors out there. Would there weren't? And wouldn't it be nice if we could simply operate an Internet and not have to worry about security measures, not waste any money on it or waste any bandwidth on it or, or, or uh, memory capacity and just let the Internet sing its, its song? But that's not the world we live in. But I have to tell you, since we're monitoring the Chinese, the North Koreans, the Russians, and they're monitoring us, right. we're hacking them, mm-hmm. they're hacking us, it almost feels like that's the security Right, you know, to, it's to it's extent, two it guys. It's two guys with uh, pointing guns at each other. Yeah, it's, right, it's, right? It's, it's a little black guy and a little white guy, written by Antonio Prohias and appearing monthly in Mad Magazine. Yeah, yeah, it is, and you know, it, it it's almost as though if one of them makes a move, the other they know that the other's going to retaliate. In some ways, we may have come to a point where we need a Geneva Convention for cyber war. On what are the rules of conduct and espionage and, you know, that is allowed? Are you allowed to go in and turn off an entire country's utility system and water system? Well, I mean, are. maybe there's going to be some, there, there needs to be like Geneva Convention types of rules that lay out what you can and cannot do. Well, obviously, this convention could not be held in Geneva. I would suggest Roswell, <laughs> New Mexico. <laughs> 
<laughs> I knew that was coming. All right. That is all the time that we've got this segment. But I know you're going to come back and join me on the roundtable on you the bet. second segment. So so hang tight and we'll be right back. If your station is leaving us after the first hour and you have a question or a comment to make about our interview with Fred Kaplan, you can email me at RebeccaCosta.com or drop me a note on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Now that you've heard what the United States government has done to listen in and track the hacking capabilities of foreign governments, the proportional response delivered to North Korea, and the veiled threat of cutting off trade with China, which was delivered by President Obama. Do you feel the government is doing enough to protect our data and infrastructure from attack? And are tech firms like Facebook, Microsoft, Apple, and Google on the verge of becoming the next modern-day defense contractors? Do they have a role to play in cyber warfare? Based on Apple's recent refusal to work with the FBI to give them access to a single phone, it appears that Silicon Valley wants nothing to do with surveillance. I'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic. All you have to do is give me to give me a piece of your mind is go to RebeccaCosta.com and click on the word Contact at the menu bar that's at the top of the page. Then type in your remarks in the white comment box that's provided. And if you happen to miss the full interview with Fred Kaplan, remember you can download episodes of the Costa Report from Apple iTunes, Podbean, YouTube, and also our website at RebeccaCosta.com. That's my name.com. My guest next week is the underdog consumer advocate we all came to love in the movie, Erin Brockovich. She'll be here to explain why so many chemicals and devices are being released to the public without thorough testing and the dangers that this presents to unsuspecting consumers like you and me. I I, ha- I have waited a long time to get Aaron Brockovich on the program and I'll tell you, if you saw the movie, you couldn't help but cheer her on. And uh, what's interesting is out of that one case, she has become one of the uh, most vocal consumer advocates in our country today. So I know you're going to want to hear what she's up to lately, including how bad the methane gas leak is in Southern California. Erin Brockovich has a lot of detail that has not been covered by the mainstream media, and we're going to have a chance to dig into that as well. So don't miss Erin Brockovich next week right here on the only news program that puts policy ahead of politics. Now stay tuned for a second hour of Straight Talk Radio. You're listening to the Costa Report. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 